All right, welcome to the Carl Rominger Show, or get Rominger on the phone, depending on what you want to call it. Uh, tonight, we're talking about the Capitol defendants from January 6th. Uh, some of you know I'm pretty convinced that uh, Trump whipped up this crowd, lured them down to D.C., and some bad actors got involved, and a whole bunch of people got arrested. Um, do I think? Do I think? Uh, Trump's to blame. That's for another day. 717-906-5319. I'm going to take some calls on the air. Uh, I'm going to be inviting some of you guys on shortly. Again, we're going to talk about the January 6th Capitol defendants. So if you're someone who thinks that the Capitol riots were okay, or someone who thinks that people are being treated unfairly or mischaracterized as looters and saboteurs by the Democratic left, uh, this show's got to have something important in it for you. Uh, if you're somebody who thinks that uh, Trump was behind this whole thing and there was a grand conspiracy to overthrow the government, that's irrelevant to tonight's show. It's not inconsistent with it. Uh, I think what we can all agree on is that there are numerous people in jail right now, uh, many of whom, and uh, go ahead and throw up some chats for me if you guys will. Let me know about the sound quality and feedback, et cetera. Uh, but don't forget to share this feed and turn your volume up if you have a chance. Uh, make sure you're listening loud and clear. Uh, we want to talk about what conditions these people are suffering. There are people in pretrial detention right now uh, who are being unfairly held in conditions uh, that just don't befit an American. Okay, And we're going to talk about how that came to be. But let me give you a little bit of expertise here. I did five plus years in various prisons. Uh, during that time, after I was released from the state prison to federal custody, I was transferred to a marshal's holding facility. I was in a marshal's holding facility with pretrial detainees. So for instance, uh, one morning I saw a new guy and I said, hey, what's your name? He said, oh, you know, I'm Bob or whatever. Uh, where are you from? I'm from Cleveland. He's like, man, this morning I was just sitting on my sofa when the marshals busted down the door and here I am. Okay. That was a pretrial detainee. He had just been arrested and brought to jail. Uh, he and I spent many months living together uh, right there on the same block. I was locked in a Youngstown, Ohio facility run by the United States Marshals through a company called Core Civic, uh, where they held pretrial detainees. Now, I was not pretrial in the strictest sense. I was just coming into federal custody. But because of the COVID, what should have been a two to four week stay turned into a five and a half month stay in Youngstown, Ohio. So when people start talking about what conditions are the Capitol defendants uh, facing, I can tell you because I was in Marshall's custody, which includes the pretrial individuals. Important point, kids, and I say kids, you know, as a euphemism, I'm the hardened criminal, right? I'm in a multi-year sentence and the pretrial guys are in the same block as me fighting for the same scraps uh, whatever as I am with me, okay? So think about that for a minute. When you get this idea that these pretrial detainees are in some special facility, well, they might have for the capital defendants, put them on their own wing and that sort of thing. But the conditions they're experiencing are terrible, right? And part of the DC jail where they're being held were just moved up to Lewisburg Penitentiary, uh, another location I spent some time in. I went to the camp at Lewisburg, right? That federal prison camp, you know, with the nice walking track, no tennis courts, folks. Um, nice facility, except Coral kept getting dipped up into the penitentiary because he refused to shut his mouth. So a year ago, July 1st of last year, 
the guards came down. Why am I telling you? Because I want to make you understand what prison's like for somebody who's in prison, whether they're pretrial or not pretrial. I wasn't pretrial at this facility, right? The guards came down to our housing, housing unit, kicked us all out. When we went back in, they had taken a milkshake and poured it all over my bed. They had taken iced tea and poured it all over my bunkie's bed. Uh, they took one of the guys, all his possessions, piled them up and put Hershey's chocolate syrup all over all of them. I uh, took another guy's uh, Koran and threw it on the floor and dumped water on it. They took some prayer carpets that belonged to some other Muslim guys and left intentional footprints on them and laid them in the middle of the cubes. Um, and what was this all about? What did we do? Absolutely nothing. This is what they do because this was just like a punk out, right? Because, hey, it's Friday night, it's seven o'clock. Let's kick the assholes out of their, uh, out of their cubes. Let's come down, let's smash all their stuff, let's destroy their food. Let's take the prescription drugs that the government and the taxpayers paid for and scatter them all over the floor. Uh, and that was normal. I have that letter up uh, on my uh, Twitter. I have that letter that I wrote about that to the United States Attorney. You know what's happened so far? Ellie Lanyon followed up with this, ABC 27, uh, as you guys might remember back in December. and. The U.S. Attorney's Office and everybody else involved. Well, we might get back to you on that. Uh, we referred it to the Inspector General. Nothing's been done about that because what I complained about in that letter, that bust down of us, the things that they did are normal treatment in the federal prison system. So let's get back to pretrial detainees. When I went to Youngstown and I showed up there, they put us on a block where nobody was living. And we came in and I went to my assigned cell and there was toilet paper on the floor and there was a dirty soap bar in the sink and there was food all over the place and it was really disgusting uh we were told that they had just had a COVID outbreak on that block and therefore they had removed all the inmates from the block and placed them somewhere else uh, and then they had carefully and, and thoroughly cleaned and sterilized the block uh, before we moved in now the first part they moved inmates off the block because of a COVID uh outbreak was true the second part, complete and utter nonsense, okay? Um, and we didn't have cleaning supplies. Uh, so that's your introduction to a Marshall's holding facility, okay? I can walk you guys through it if you want to call 706-907-906-5319. I'll be happy to uh, talk with you a little bit about it. Uh, and we can go from there. Uh, but... You have to understand how dirty and disgusting these places are to start with, right? And I talked to this guy earlier on Facebook, because uh, my Westy, I told him I wouldn't call him out by name, but he said he's gonna call in and debate me, so might as well call him out by name, right? And this guy's saying, I don't care. Jail's supposed to be tough. It's supposed to be terrible. Okay, we'll, we'll back up on that. His attitude is a little wrong-headed for a lot of reasons. We're talking about people who haven't been convicted of a crime yet. And then he says, well, these are political prisoners, and that's a different deal. Um, folks, let me explain something to you. Whether you're in Russia, China, or the United States, political prisoners are held in the same prisons as regular prisoners. Pretrial detainees are held in the same facilities and the same prisons as guilty post-trial detainees. Our system allows for people to be stuck in the same condition. So if you're like this guy and you have this attitude that prison shouldn't be fun and it's all great to treat people terribly because they're in prison, you know, feed them bread and water, uh, lock them down, what do I care? Uh, and I'll explain why that's wrong-headed later. But 
if that's your attitude, then you don't believe in the Constitution. The reason you're going to lose your Second Amendment rights, the reason you're going to lose your First Amendment rights, you're going to lose all your rights, is because if you don't exercise them and protect them and guard them jealously, they will go away. And what do we have happening here? We got a guy saying, oh, oh, well, who cares how they treat prisoners? Well, maybe there's a few prisoners. If they were political prisoners, they could put them somewhere special. Every single person in America is presumed innocent until proven guilty. Now, I know we have to lock people up sometimes, right, uh, pre-trial, because the allegation is serious and the flight risk is there, et cetera, and they're supposed to be balancing on that. But the reality is, in America, just like in Russia or China, we're no better than them, if somebody accuses you of a crime and you don't have enough money to bail out or the judge sees fit or you're in the federal system, like the Capital Six uh, defendants, where there's no presumption of or option for bail per se, uh, you end up detained. And a lot of these folks, uh, look, Pete Navarro got out, right? Because he's a white collar guy. Uh, he was treated a little differently. I was allowed to remain out on my recognizance. But the reality is most people in the federal system get stuck in jail, you know, pre-trial. And they could be for serious crimes, but they can also be the capital defendants, some of whom might have just been walking through the place, some of whom might have allegations that they struck an officer. But that's the point, allegations. So in our current system, a person who's never been convicted of a crime can be put into these terrible prison conditions. Um, let me talk to you about medical conditions in there. Uh, when I was in jail, you saw a lot of guys with hernias popping out because they don't treat hernias unless they're becoming strangulated, okay? Well, who cares? Why should they pay the dime? Well, guess what? If it's pre-trial and they're two years pre-trial or a year pre-trial, does anybody remember when January 6th happened? Was that January 6th of 2022? Was that January 6th of 2021? Oh, so the people that are in jail right now are going on 18 months, some of them, right? Or some fraction of that that's close. Uh, those folks are going on 18 months in these conditions. So if one of them had popped a hernia, he or she might or might not get treatment for it, right? Um, I had a cardiac issue. Uh, I was uh, throwing an abnormal and erratic pulse. I had a nurse crying because she couldn't get me sent out to a cardiologist. So just to give you some idea, this was in the Marshalls Holding Facility, United States Marshalls. They brought me in in July. In September, they decided I need to see a cardiologist. In December, they transferred me to a different federal prison. And in February, I saw my cardiologist for the first time. So think about that for a minute. September, October, November, December, January, February. That's six months, give or take, from the time that um, it was determined that I needed to consult with a cardiologist that I saw one for the first time. And people say, that's outrageous. No, that's just normal. Uh, so when I think about the pandemic for a minute, I, I go, you know, a lot of us that were in prison, we're afraid we're going to die in there, right? Because that's uh, a scary place. It's a very scary place. Um, Josh says, uh, 24 months pretrial or more is not speedy process. Well, guess what, Josh? I might agree with you, but the Supreme Court uh, uh, says no. Uh, John's saying that's BS. Which part, John? Tell me what's BS. The way they're treating them? Or, or something I'm saying. I'm hoping you're saying the way they're treating them. But if you're, if you're saying I'm saying BS, call me out on it. If you're saying that's the way they treat them as BS, just, just refine that a bit for me. Don Stevens, uh, are conditions worse in for-profit prisons? That's an interesting question. It depends who you ask.
Um, a lot of the guys I was in prison with have a different expectation for a prison. So guys will tell you that prison, a prison is sweet. Okay. Uh, yeah, John, I agree. The way they treated me for six months. Thank you, brother. That was BS. Um, <laughs> uh, but Don's asking the kind of question, um, uh, and he, he's asking that question about, uh, private prisons, right? So the answer is private prisons are horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Uh, but if you ask some prisoners, they're quote sweet because it is uh, gladiator school. What do I mean by that? Everybody's got weapons. Not everybody. Carl didn't carry a weapon, um, but a lot of people are carrying shivs. Uh, some of them are made out of plastic bottles. Most of them are made out of steel, sharpened down. Uh, I watched a guy get eviscerated uh, because he was a black kid who wanted to use the Spanish phone and the Spanish guys warned him off using the Spanish film, but he wouldn't take no for an answer. Tried to slide on there. Uh, and uh, after the third warning, uh, they went at him six men deep. And that lasted for five or six minutes until somebody came in there and hauled a couple of them off. But the funny part was the guys were throwing the shanks to another guy who ran upstairs with them, you know. So that's just a normal day in a Marshall's holding facility. Uh, in fact, one day, Don, just to answer about how terrible, um, how terrible are Marshall's holding facilities. They, this is Youngtown, Ohio, Core Civic, uh, their facility there. They locked a guard, meaning they, meaning the inmates, locked the guard in a cell. And he stayed in there for 15 or 20 minutes till the guard on the other side, like a lot of times there's a bubble and then there's two groups of inmates that don't really mingle, but the guards go back and forth, okay? Well, the guard from the other side, she stopped over to try to figure out where her colleague was and he was locked up in a cell and she eventually went looking around for him, found him and unlocked him. But they didn't do anything about it because A, I guess they were embarrassed, but B, uh, they were scared of the inmates. So just, yeah, maybe I shouldn't tell you guys this story, right? But I'll tell you a story. Uh, I was there for a while. And one day I went to go get some medicine and I guess I was supposed to put an orange jumpsuit on. And I was walking, the guard's like, hey, you got to put an orange jumpsuit on to go. And I almost turned around and went back and got the orange jumpsuit. And then I remembered I'm in a Marshall's holding facility and other inmates are watching me, right? Is this guy a softie? Is he going to uh, do what the guard tells him to do? So I told the guard to shut the F up and walk past him because that's how you represent in a facility like that if you want to get along, right? You don't want to look like a weak old guy. Um, and it's very disrespectful, but if I don't do that, then I'm going to paint a target on myself. Um, that's a normal Marshall's holding facility. But let me also tell you, like, this is why guys liked it there. Uh, did you need some alcohol? We had alcohol, endless supply of alcohol. Um, they were making uh, uh, both a, kind of a beer wine type thing. And then there were a couple guys in a cell near me who were using mop buckets and some uh, stolen electrical wires to create a still. And then an endless supply of ice was brought to the block. Uh, and, and they were making like white lightning up there, uh, which uh, uh, a couple of the guys would sit around and sip all day, right? And you see these guys walking around either with the clear liquid in a Pepsi bottle or with the orange liquid in a Pepsi bottle. And you knew what they were doing. You knew they were drinking. The guards knew they were drinking. And uh, then if they wanted to smoke, uh, a lot of them would simply just light up right on the, in the day room. 
And uh, what they were smoking a lot of times was marijuana or K2, which is kind of like a paper drug. Um, people were out of their gourd high all the time. Uh, this is a Marshall's holding facility. So now imagine, imagine you're not a hardcore criminal. You're not down from the penitentiary. I would have probably been out of my gourd, but after doing like, you know, four years of state prison, um, it, it was, it was easy for me to understand what was going on and get along, let's say. Um, but if you don't like breathing marijuana smoke, you don't like breathing uh, cigarette smoke, you don't like uh, drunk guys brawling in front of you, you don't want to accidentally get stabbed when three guys come flying across the table at you, you don't want to be in a Marshall's holding facility, okay? And any one of you out there who's listening to this, uh, you want to call in and you know challenge me on this 717-906-5319. I don't have any proof, right? Because the prison system runs this great secret system of, um, Linda says January 6th was not a coup. Um, okay, it wasn't a coup, but whether it was or wasn't a coup, I don't care for today's conversation. Today we're talking about the terrible treatment that the government has for these poor guys uh, from January 6th uh, who are stuck sitting in pretrial detention for over a year now for crimes they may not have committed. So this guy earlier today, I'm arguing on Facebook with, right? He's like, Carl, I don't care. If they committed a crime, they get what they deserve. And I'm like, what part of pretrial do you not understand? Yeah, but if they committed a crime, they deserve it. I'm like, okay, so if a guy like, I don't know, Kyle Rittenhouse, anybody here a Kyle Rittenhouse fan? Um, Linda, you're probably a Kyle Rittenhouse fan. I'm going to typecast you, right? Uh, I don't have a problem with Kyle Rittenhouse per se. Uh, bad choices, put yourself in a weird situation, but I would have gladly defended him back in the day. Um, did he deserve to be held in an adult facility as a juvenile? Uh, did he deserve, he didn't deserve any of the prison time he got because it turned out he didn't commit a crime, right? Um, a lot of people who are held in pretrial detention, are, charges are ultimately dropped or they're negotiated down to something that carries no jail time. So they shouldn't have spent any time in jail or, or they're stuck in uh, 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 the entire time and then they get an acquittal from a jury and you never get that time back. And if they did get stabbed, if they did get hurt, if they did catch a disease that got terrible prison medicine, uh, well, who cares, right? So where I'm going with all this, I'm, I'm going in a direction with this that we need to think long and hard um, about how we want people to be treated in the pretrial system. And as long as we're gonna have pretrial and post-trial people together, um, we're going to have to have a jail system that treats people humanely. So I don't think jail should be fun. Um, I saw a lot of guys having a lot more fun in jail than you could imagine. Uh, when Ali Lanyon interviewed me for ABC 27, I talked about um, the fact that they had a big poker game going. So on Reddit, some guy was talking about the video of me, a couple guards actually, and I was reading what they were saying on Reddit. And they're like, yeah, look at this guy. He's complaining about the gambling. I let the guys gamble, gives them something to do. Um, the guards are very permissive in prison situations. Uh, I remember being in Pennsylvania State Prison in Pine Grove. Uh, it's 11 o'clock at night. It's supposed to be quiet time. Everybody's supposed to be in their cube and quiet. The guard, this guy Miller up there, he's got, um, he's got a couple inmates up there drinking coffee with him, watching YouTube inside the guard's cube. 
there's a giant poker game taking place right off the uh, corner of my cube in the common area with seven or eight guys at it. Uh, there are people screaming and running around. Uh, there's people sprouting third legs in the shower, if you know what that means. And uh, that's just a normal night in the Pennsylvania State prison system, right? And a lot of these guys are having a grand old time. And I think I've said this before. I feel like I said this to Art uh, when I was on uh, WHP. You're not going to reform the prison system when prison's better for some people than it is otherwise. On the other hand, this idea that my buddy Westy had that somehow we should be treating people terribly while they're in prison, um, that's a great idea because 95% of all prisoners get out. 95% of all prisoners get out. So who do you want to come home? Do you want somebody to come home that's rehabilitated through some kind of balance? Or do you just want somebody, you know, like a pit bull in a cage that you hit with a cattle prod once in a while, and then you eventually let them out and wonder why you ate your kids? Uh, understand it's not quite that simple, but there's a lot that goes into it. What I'm concerned about is if you get in trouble in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, does anybody know where they put you? Come on, guys. You know where they put you. They put you in the county prison. Who else is in the county prison between, besides pretrial detainees? By the way, if you get picked up by the feds and get into the marshal system, you can end up in Core Civic and one of the wonderful facilities. By the way, one of upshots of the Core Civic facility. You could watch nonstop hardcore porn all day long on the law computer um, unless like the lawyer, me, or somebody else could convince the guys to turn the porn off long enough to uh, you know, let us get on and do a little legal research. Um, because again, that's what the craziness they're allowing. So can you imagine being a, a criminal non-sophisticate stuck in those conditions? Uh, people adapt, don't get me wrong. But for some people, that is a very dangerous and traumatic place. In fact, uh, the guy earlier who was telling me prison should be a harsh place, I suspect is one of the guys who would go there and get his commissary taken because he wouldn't quite know how to handle himself because he has this idea of prison as everybody locked down and, and, and nothing going on. What you find out when you get there is um, you better be mobile and on your feet. Um, I used to wear a pair of Crocs around the one prison uh, at the camp, uh, which is a prison no-no because those are soft shoes and you can't fight and you're in danger when you're in soft shoes. And some of the uh, older, more hardcore inmates used to always point that out to me, say, Carl, why are you wearing Crocs? And I used to say, because I can't. And that was sort of a prison joke, basically saying, no one's going to touch me, right? Well, I was pretty confident of that because uh, of the situation I was in. Oh, here we go. We got a caller. We got our first caller of the day. Let's see. Josh, I think you're on the air, buddy. Very good. How are you? I got you turned all the way up here, I think. I'm not sure if you're coming through good or not. Yeah, the weather's been decent. Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yep. I can. I don't... Yeah, the weather's been pretty good, but it's uh, raining a little bit. Oh, yeah, you're raining now. I got you, buddy. I got you now. Operator error on the speakerphone. All right, cool. You got to be smarter. You got to be smarter than the cell phone you're handling. Hey, Don, that's probably better now. It's just, that was really just a Carl problem. That really wasn't a technology problem, Donald. Um, it's Josh, but... No, no, I'm talking to Donald on the chat. No, I know it's it's you. Don was just saying, Don was just saying he couldn't hear you. So it's, 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 it's important that my three listeners give me feedback or else I really don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? See, my, when I talk on the phone, then I can't see the feed on the Facebook spot. 
Right. No, I understand. Trust me. Uh, listen, I appreciate you calling in. Obviously, I'm proud of LA. What do you want to say, Josh? Well, um, I think there's a couple different topics that you hit. I mean, yeah, the prisoners, some of them, you seem like they're the heinous crimes they committed, and then people feel that they deserve the punishment that they get, whatever the outcome is. And they have no judgment on the thing because it's uh, done by the state and it's their tax dollars. They don't care. But same time you're saying uh the way that your prisoners are treated is also a statement on how successful or how uh fair your government is so if it's not treating people fairly then it you know the whole way along you know pre-trial or post-trial then there's a problem with the ability of the government to regulate their responsibilities so now, let me give you an example. It doesn't just start at what you expose from the inmates, but it starts from the government level from the time that they're running the bulldozers to build the place. Right. So what they do, what they do is instead of providing a, uh, you know, enough liquidity to the contractor to build bulldozers the extra four feet of dirt to make the entire establishment level, what they'll do is take that money and put it in their pockets and then save on that four feet of dirt and make the floor on level in the, in the facility. Well, you know, someone could accuse you of just making that up, but didn't they just have this problem with a giant facility the other side of Pennsylvania where some of the blocks aren't usable because the foundation cracked because the footers weren't done right, which sounds suspiciously like what you're talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the only people that will be able to do it would be like CNN or MSNBC. Where they'd actually get off their ass, sorry, Facebook feed, yeah. YouTube, worldwide, but yeah, get off their, their rear end and do an investigation and look at the conditions of the building, see if they're built because who cares? Who's ever done the investigation? Who's ever done the aftermath? We don't care because we never cared about the state of the prisoners. That's exactly what we have. So, more than one facility, and some facilities are more than 70 years old or whatever, I think, and they part of the state. So, so Josh, I mean, really. uh, let me tell you. So, it really disturbs me that, for instance, when I was in federal prison, and I talked a little bit about this earlier, the guards literally came down from the penitentiary and trashed all our stuff. Now, I was in Pennsylvania State Prison for four years. And I never saw anything like that. Uh, I had one, one time that the guards came in and, and they tore up everything we had in Pennsylvania, but that was in response to a series of uh, assaults on guards by a series of inmates. So you could at least understand what prompted it. And it was a message back to the prison community um, from the constabulary, right? Right. They won't tolerate this. But in, in the Fed, well, hold on, Josh, in the federal prison, when they came down, we are the campers, okay? We don't do anything. We really are very uninteresting. Um, we don't threaten guards. We don't hit anybody. We hardly had any fights in the camp, um, any, any physicality, you know, that sort of thing. And instead, um, uh, they came down and literally just like a show for show of force, ripped up government and personal property. And not one person will investigate that for me. I've called on the United States attorney to look into it. I've called on all kinds of people, even the Lewisburg Prison Project, who appears to be in bed with the Lewisburg Prison because they won't even get back to me on it. Um, ABC News reached out and asked about it. And we still can't get an answer. But you know what? 
three times they came down and, did, and a few times after, although magically, the one time I did was take one of my cans of Coke, drink half of it, and set it on top of my locker, which everybody was laughing because they destroyed everything around my stuff was, okay, the crazy lawyer's going to write some letters, so we'll let him know that we're still in his stuff, but we're not going to trash it this time. That kind of behavior is normal in our prison system. And, and, and so, like you said, it starts on day one. It's driving nuts that nobody, official or unofficial, can get any traction to look into this stuff. Maybe when Scott Perry, maybe if Scott Perry goes to jail for a day, uh, he'll make a phone call, right? <laughs> Since he didn't get his pardon. But that, I politicize. And if you look into the records, what you run into is a 45-day waiting period or more. And hopefully you have the opportunity to wherewithal, wherewithal to articulate your position on the records that you're seeking um, and why you think they're public. And that's the only way you're going to get it. But the problem is that's such a huge delay between the time you find out about a problem and the right. time you get the records. So, and then, well, I need a second set of records. Well, I have another 45 days. I guess 90 days are so, the same issue. So, 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 Josh, I, under the uh, President Trump signed something called the First Step Act. And under the First Step Act, I should have been released in April of 2021, okay? Instead, I was released in December of 2021 because the federal prison system had refused to implement the First Step Act. Now, I would like to go back and get some credit for that time, maybe against my probation or something, right? And they're telling me, no, that doesn't count. Just, you know, unfortunately for you, you know, if you'd come later, your sentence had been longer, you'd have got the advantage of the law, right? And my joke is, I'm in prison because I didn't follow the law. I'm supposed to be learning to follow the law. But then the prison itself, the BOP, Department of Justice, refuses to follow Congress's law that President Trump signed. Um, eventually, Merrick Garland actually put it in place and said, okay, we're going to follow it. Um, so somehow, I lost all this time, extra, all this extra time in jail because guards and counselors and the BOP wouldn't follow the law. But I'm told that there's nothing that can be remedied about it because that's just unfortunate for me, but the law wasn't followed in my case, but who cares? Well, nobody's going to go to jail for that. Thousands of people spent more time in jail than they were supposed to, but they don't care. They don't get in trouble. But think about the message that sends to inmates, right? Hey, laws are important, except some of them that we're not going to follow. So in case when you're in your personal life later and you think that some laws are optional, and we've been telling you to follow the law and learn to be a law-abiding citizen, but we don't actually follow the law, that breeds cynicism. And, and the prisoners used to tell me, they'd say, Carl, you don't understand, man. When you get out, they're going to do everything they can to drag you back. So what's the first thing I get when I get out? I get a letter from Cumberland County telling me I'm $12,000 in arrears and I'm in danger of immediately going back to jail if I don't pay that $12,000, right? So I put up a stink. The judge says, oh, that was a mistake. Allie Lanyon follows up with it for part of the story on ABC 27. And then they say, oh, yeah, we don't know what happened. We never do that. That's strange because before they said, yeah, we don't know why we do that, but we'll fix it. And now they say, oh, we never did that. We don't know. It's just a mistake. Lies, lies, lies. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's take it to, yes. to, to January 6th tradition, which is Washington, D.C.-related uh, facilities. Which, once again, that's 
the, the way you, and that's the best, especially the best prison, it's such a small area. I mean, you have, like, a very small, like, territory, like, that you're, they're covering, and so, have these, all these, these different people that are going to this, I think it would be easier with a smaller, you know, per capita, right, area, maybe it's still pretty, pretty high per capita, but it'd be easier to maintain a, a high-class prison in that area, especially with all of our tax dollars, they, considering what's going on there, like, Listen, I'm 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 just going to tell you like uh, if you just Google like BOP and Forbes, you can read articles written by this guy who from Forbes magazine who writes about the Bureau of Prisons, um, uh, Walt Walt Pavlo, and and he writes all these stories about the terrible conditions in the federal system. The marshal system is even worse. Um, it's it's downright embarrassing, as a matter of fact. If I were a judge, if I were a federal judge, which I'll never be, obviously, right? If I was a federal judge, I'd be embarrassed that my marshal is utilizing the facilities that they do. If I was a marshal, if I was a United States marshal, I would be embarrassed that my program is run to these standards. That, and if I were a shareholder in Core Civic, I'd be really happy with everything because they're making money hand over fist from the government to hold people in these terrible uh, uh, conditions. But the reality is running a prison well takes time and money. And, and my joke is that I have a lot of issues with the Pennsylvania DOC, and I can give you a thousand things they do wrong, but they do it 100% better than the feds do. Well, that's, that's feasible. But uh, in these prisoners that are there, I mean, we don't even know, for example, they say there's 600 people or so that are in the D.C. prison for right. the January 6th thing. So now, maybe there's... 625, and maybe there's 25 people that don't get their, their trial, you know, until everybody else is done, and then, oh, we forgot about these guys. I mean, how how many people that, that don't have representation, maybe, that they get left behind? You know? Well, it's, you, it's know, so convenient, you know, to be we've got the COVID going that, on. That's, that's and, the question we have down there. How and, many people are there? And here's the, other, here's, the, here's the other problem. I had a case one time, you know, just, just to bring this home, right? And the government... Um, not only did they send over like 40 banker boxes of evidence over the course of discovery, right? But the week before trial started, the attorney general's office sends over a U-Haul with 13 more banker boxes in the back um, filled with, with, with records, right? And they're not scanned. They're not anything. They're just banker boxes full of paper. And so now you've got a week to go. And I don't know how many pages are in a banker's box. What, 5,000 pages? We'll just call it 2,000 pages in a banker's box, right? So here's a 25,000 page dump for you guys to go through um, a week before trial. You better be ready, right? So of course, what does the defense have to do when they dump that on you? You have to say, judge, I can't go to trial yet. I need more time. Um, I knew someone who tried a case here in the middle district that involved thousands of hours, hours of wiretaps. Do you know how many hours it takes to listen to a thousand hours of wiretaps? It takes a thousand hours. Uh, but it also means that when you're listening to hour number 875 and you want to compare it to hour number 472, you have to go back and forth a few times, multiply that and pretty soon two or 3,000 hours of wiretaps takes a year and a half to digest. <laughs> and, and so I guarantee you the capital defendants, one of the problems the government's going to say, oh, we're not the ones continuing this. Their crazy attorneys want to drag this out. No, their attorneys want to make sure that they're guilty of something before they plead them guilty. 
Um, one thing I can tell you, when, whenever the best evidence anybody has is videotape, right? There's going to be one video camera that makes it look like the little old lady mugged the officer with her bag. And there's going to be another camera angle where, where you can see that her bag was actually not being swung by her. She was actually being knocked off her feet and her bag was flying through the air or something. You know what I mean? So you, you've got to always look at every angle and everything. So these capital defendants are put in an impossible position. Courts are slow. Conditions are terrible. And many of them are probably not guilty of anything major. Do I think they're guilty of stupidity? Sure. Right? Well, what? Let's, look at some of the, uh, let's talk about some of the camera footage that we've seen, bench video. Um, you have a number of different people at a timeline. We talked briefly last time about... Uh, the horned man, and I guess his name is Jacob Chinsley. Uh, Chinsley. Yeah. Anyway, he was the horned guy, but and you can see all the pictures of him, and there's actually a, they did stories on him. He's been all over the country in different face paints, like the, you know, the still the red, white, blue, but different schemes with it throughout the summer. Okay. So he was showing up at the rallies, and he wasn't never part of any one group. He was right. He was there to gain attention. Sounds like an actor. Be, <laughs> it sounds like a paid actor. To be seen, to be seen, right? Right. So, you know, he somehow winds up to be the first guy in the building. But the only way you can do that, because now, now to show him walking down through the, the mall. So then he comes down into that, but sometimes, like, he's not at the Trump rally. He's not part of the supportership. He was just there the beforehand. And he moved his way down through into the Capitol building. And at the same time, you can see the first group of people being let into the, the into the uh, Capitol building, right? The people that are he's jammed in there. He's one of the pictures. He's jammed in there. He's getting shoved through the door or something. So, but then he eventually winds his way directly from that door, directly into the Senate chambers or whatever, and leaves a note. But what we need to look at and pay particular attention to is he had a bullhorn with him. All right, that bullhorn is a particular. I mean, either it's a mistake because it's actually happening. This is really going on. These people are coming. You know, we haven't opened up. There's so many people here. We've never right. seen so many people in Washington, D.C. before. You know what I mean? Because uh, there's certainly not this many people that ever come to show for Biden. So we don't, you know, we just never experienced this. So now there's all these people are just, you know, over there. And uh, these guys are in the building. It's a media show. But the uh, the thing about it is, those people are directed in there by this other son named Lech had the same type of bullhorn red and white bullhorn, and his name was Ray Epps. So Ray Epps is now directing people in, in, into the Capitol. So Ray Epps actually invited everyone into the Capitol. The FBI, I believe that people speculate that he works for the FBI because he's not in jail, because he's not one of those captors. He doesn't have to face those conditions that right. else does. He's somehow above the law exempt because he was able to use one of those bullhorns to propagate something that needed to have to be in place or visible to the public because what would have happened on 120 on January when the inauguration occurred if the fences weren't up whenever we had this inauguration with nobody there that would become obvious so impropriety in the vote count so now now tonight we're not going to get down we're not going to go down into the weeds on uh uh, on, on whether there was or wasn't voter fraud, on whether or not there was a coup or wasn't a coup, because this issue of January 6th defendants and their pretrial detention, in my mind, sits independently of that question. And so uh, my concern basically, Josh, works like this. 
we have a system where people who are potentially innocent are being subject to terrible conditions. Many of them committed, if they committed any crime, um, this would be the first criminal thing in their life. They're 30 to 58 years old. Uh, you know, we'll call it that court Trump demographic or whatever. They're, they're not, uh, even if they did something wrong, the punishment doesn't fit the crime, okay? And, and the amount of detention they're getting is ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. Um, you can beat your spouse and do less jail time than these guys have done already for walking around the Capitol. Now, those who assaulted police officers or committed other, you know, I don't know where in, the, in your right mind you think you can assault a police officer. Uh, now, maybe maybe somebody, and that, by the way, that I could editorialize on the politics for a second. Like, I never thought I'd be talking to Republicans on a regular basis who keep telling me that all they did to the police was push them or shove them. Because I guarantee you that if I showed a video of a Black Lives Matter member shoving the police officer and then being told that somebody saying, well, all he did was shove the police officer, that would not be the greeting I would get. So let's be consistent. You, there, if you tangle with law enforcement, and, and I don't believe for a minute, like it's like blaming the waitress for the chef's problem or the waiter for the chef's problem. If, if the votes were stuffed or the election was rigged, that doesn't mean that the mall cop, right, or the Capitol Mall police officer or the D.C. cop was in on it. He just has a job guarding the building. So, you know, hitting him with your baton or your or your stolen shield or whatever is not like commensurate. Again, that's like, like telling the waitress that she undercooked your chicken. No, she didn't cook the chicken. She just delivers it, you know. Um, my, my, my grave concern is that these folks are languishing in conditions that are unfit. What I would like, and this is the other side, let me take it to the other side. My, my wacky liberal friends, you know, as opposed to my wacky conservative friends, my wacky liberal friends will be like, oh yeah, well, it's amazing that Fox News suddenly cares about prisoners' plight. Like, who cares? We don't need to talk about these January 6th defendants. And I'm like, no, this is your opportunity to show middle-class uh, middle America, white America, what it means to be in pretrial detention um, and what the conditions are like and what's really going on in our prisons. And we need serious prison reform for post-trial and post-sentence defendants, but we also need the same reforms to protect the innocent who get mixed into these situations. And we need a much more robust system of trying to keep people out of pretrial detention unless absolutely necessary. So the same- well, That, comes, that well, comes down to bail, which is constitutional right. So, so in the federal system, there is no bail, right? I mean, you, you, if you realize that or not, you, you're, the judge has to make a determination that you're not a danger, otherwise you're getting into pretrial detention. So it's not like a lot of states where you I get- thought it, I, thought it came down, I thought it came down to bail bondsman, and the bail bondsman said, hey, I'm gonna you know, give you $25,000. No, 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 let me, let me stop you, let me stop you. In the state yeah, system- show up the court, Yeah, no, down, no, no, let me stop. Let me stop you for a second. In the states, it works one way it's in most states, okay? The bail bondsman bonds you out. You give him some money. He comes and finds you, you know, dog the bounty hunter. Feds don't really have a cash bail system. Um, it's very easy to get detained with no ability to bail yourself in the federal system, which is why so many of these seemingly benign capital January 6th defendants, people who really didn't do anything that serious are stuck in jail because they get, depending on how your judge feels about you, you are or you aren't being detained. 
And so a lot of these folks don't have super serious charges, but when the government comes in and asks for them to be detained, they're easily detained in the federal system. Um, that needs reformed. Uh, the problem is that bail reform is controversial, right? Because when I watch Fox News, they keep telling me that New York and Chicago and all the American cities are going to hell in a handbasket, partly because of bail reform. Um, I'm not sure that's 100% true, but I also know that sometimes the guys that commit bad acts are in jail on petty acts. So there's probably some correlation between two. But I have people telling me that I should be allowed to own a howitzer and, and I shall have to have a waiting period because the Second Amendment is so precious and occasionally a kid will die and that's just uh, you know caught doing business with the Second Amendment. Those same people tell me, well, who cares if somebody's in jail and they're innocent? They'll eventually get out anyhow and they should just suck it up. So taking somebody's gun rights away is terrible, but locking them up physically, which takes their gun rights away, by the way, for that entire time period, um, is not a big deal somehow. I hate that inconsistency in my right-wing friends. Um, so there's certain, there's certain firearms that are illegal um, to own without having a tax stamp. So right. those, that period of time where you gain that tax stamp, you apply and you retrieve your stamp and then you, you know, you get your gun from your thing and then you're, you're set. You know what I mean? You can go and blast away full out of the range if you, if you want. Right. As long as you don't have more than three rounds in your magazine or whatever. <laughs> so, well, you know, that's a whole separate question, right? So there's a time already built into the process. What do we need to change? I mean, there's nothing that's really needs to be refounded. I think we already solved a lot of it in the past. It's just a matter of following through with it. Which, I, mean, what, I mean, what needs to be new? And why, why is it new right now? Like, why is it such an urge to push this, this, this gun reform in such a way well, in Canada they just said, you have to register your firearms. That's it. You got to have all your firearms if you register. So, so, so part of the urge, I mean, just, just, let's, let's be fair for a second. Part of the urge is because when people see kids getting shot up and, and, and they hear about these things, they have a reaction, you know, and I, I tell guys that are pro second amendment, you have to be sensitive to the fact that people who aren't comfortable with or don't love guns, um, We'll see kids die in these shootings and feel a certain way about it. And if you, if you don't credit anything to those feelings, you'll wake up one day and find out that they have put together a good vote, voting block. Um, listen, I was listening to some 12-year-olds talk the other day. And one of the 12-year-olds said to the other 12-year-olds, why do we even have a Second Amendment? And the other kid was like, yeah, we should be like England, where all you do is get robbed with steak knives because at least you can outrun a steak knife and a kid can't kill that many kids at school with a steak knife. I was listening to this conversation amongst the 12 year olds unbeknownst to them, you know? And well, it sounds like you're talking about living in a prison though. Well, well, I'm talking about, what I'm talking about is how kids feel today, right? And they need, well, I mean, remember this, there's, there's let me ask you, why do you take your shoes off when you get on an airplane, Josh? If you go on an airplane, why do you take your shoes off? I mean, I take my shoes off when I get in the bed. No, but why? When you get on an airplane, why do you have to take your shoes off? I mean, I mean because well, you have the underwear bomber, then you have the shoe bomber. Okay, but but why do you have to take your shoes off? Because because one guy, because Josh, because one guy, one time, right? 
One guy, one time. Now the entire United States takes their shoes off. And you know what? Most people don't think that's controversial. Most people have gladly accepted that. So we've got to be cognizant that if we want to protect the right, we have to accept. Like an infrastructure, like, uh, you know, update. So we're like, even like things now that are developed new would have already been them for preventative measures built into those new designs. So it's a mentality that, you know, Right, but, but, the, uh, but, I, but, I, of the, the engineers. but I want you to, today's standard, so, and that should be safe enough for the general public. So Josh, Josh, but I want you to understand where I'm going with this. Okay. And hold on. I said, just, just listen, everybody in the United States gladly or begrudgingly or angrily, depending on who you are, takes their shoes off before they get on an airplane these days and runs them through the scanner. Right. Nobody says I'm not doing it. Or they don't get on the plane, right? I mean, that's just that's just air travel today. That happened because of a public reaction and a governmental reaction to one event tied to another event. So I think if we're not careful, if people draw too hard of a line on what restrictions they will accept, right? What are reasonable restrictions or unreasonable restrictions? Um, so I have a I have a buddy that owns dozens and dozens of guns, but can't understand why there's no waiting period. His theory is, what harm would it do to have a short waiting period? What do I care? If you go to get your first gun, once you have your first gun, the waiting period shouldn't matter to you anymore anyhow. And well, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So then what's the purpose of that? Well, his point is, is that a lot of these guys that do these wacky shootings are actually in crisis. So the guy who just best demonstrates this, by the way, was the guy who went to go kill Justice Kavanaugh the other day. He got on an airplane or car or whatever he did. He drove across country, gets his gun, shows up to – right, I, I think he drove or something. He drove – he goes to shoot the justice, and then he decides that he's having strange bad thoughts, right? Calls 911 turns himself in and asks for psychiatric help. Clearly, this guy was a nut. Clearly, like a lot of people who have mental health problems, he was aware of his mental health problems and struggled controlling them. And thank God for everybody involved, he got control of them in, in a, a, the, maybe the very last instant, right? Um, well, how many of the people, but, many of the people had knowledge of his mental health problems? Well, but, but so here's the thing. Do we want red flag laws? Do we need red flag laws? Mitch McConnell and the boys are about to pass something that are red flag laws, but they're going to give them a new name so that people who are opposed to red flag laws won't be opposed to these uh, state confiscation orders because there really are red flag laws, but we're just going to pretend they're not red flag laws because those terminology is bothering some conservatives. Um, on the on the Second Amendment. But my my point is, I just I just want to always just caution people that if you draw a line of there shall be no regulation, you might end up with more regulation than you want. Uh, the NRA should be working with government to create a middle of the road regulatory plan that everybody can gladly sign on to. There should be some people that are a little upset with it as too restrictive, and there should be a whole bunch of people who are upset that it's not enough, but the NRA should be able to say, we were part of helping create this uh, just like they were part of the the original act to regulate machine guns. Well, see, there's two different things. People concerned about you know the potential of the, the ability of the citizen to protect themselves at large against an invasion, like Red Dog scenario. So yeah, that's very possible. 
Wait, wait, wait. Let me stop you for a second. I mean, let me stop you for a second. Good flag laws, waiting periods, um, and, and some kind of magazine capacity limits, disarming yourself, or, or are they a balance? And, and so not every restriction well, is disarmament, say, right? Well, if you're going to say have, you're going to say have, you have seven rounds, then obviously you know what you're doing here. And the guy jumped out of the airplane with a parachute. He's got like 30 rounds, and like, you know, probably like another 500 or 600. Listen. Right, but 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 your per, but right now our biggest problem isn't guys jumping out of airplanes invading the United States. In fact, nobody's ever invaded the United States in a really really long time, except for us. Um, the the um, the reality is we have a lot of mass shootings going on, so we got to deal with what what's actually happening and balance it with what could happen. But skeptical I'm always skeptical of guys who say you need a lot of shots and here's why I shot a lot of deer over the years okay I didn't use 38 shots per deer um, there's a couple of deer I shot at more than once all right I grant you that um, but a lot of times if I pulled the trigger the deer was dead right but hey you know what deer deer a lot of times I'm not gonna say they were all running some were standing still so I used to hunt these things called bucks in order to hunt ducks in the United States since 1973, you have to you have to make sure that your magazine and your gun combined hold no more than a total of three shells at the same time, right? Because back in 1973, they decided it was unfair to ducks and it was unsafe for ducks to allow hunters to run around with magazine capacity above two, because one in the chamber and two in the magazine, right? And I'm amused by that because for some reason, all the duck hunters and all the hunters in the country were okay with that limitation. The hunters in Pennsylvania are okay with the limitation of no semi-autos because that's somehow unfair to the deer. But whenever it comes to a discussion of magazine capacity, uh, everybody goes, well, wait a minute, I need as many shots as I can get. What's that? Well, I understand that, but magazine capacity, here's the reality. Here's the reality. If you are the kind of person who can defend me with a gun, like if I'm at the bank and somebody's robbing the bank, okay, if you're the guy that needs 30 shots to hit the guy from 20 feet away, then I really won't want you defending me at the bank. I also don't know what concealed handgun you're carrying that has 30 shots, but that's another story, okay? So so somewhere between somewhere between Okay, which is how many shots, Josh? About 21. About 21 would be the most a handgun's going to hold, right? Somewhere around there. Okay, let's make that the limit. 20. 21. 55. Why can't there be a limit? What's the problem with a limit? If you had a bigger 
you had a bigger capacity or a bigger caliber, then you'd have a, you know, a smaller capacity in your magazine. So, right, but I'm asking, like, what's the, what, what's the, I'm asking a serious question. Why not make the limit 100 rounds? Why do you need more than 100 rounds? Because there are 100 round magazines but, for most standard pistols. Well, wait, 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 wait. Wait, 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 stop, stop. So you're walking around town with a 100-round magazine hanging out of your 40 S&W? No, you're not. Let's be honest. Okay, great, great. You know what? You go to a registered range, um, and you check one out, and you leave it there. I, I don't care. But what I'm trying to say is this is my problem. Everybody says, well, you need this many rounds. So, so okay, how about a 1,000-round limit in your, in your magazine capacity? Could you live with that? No, can you live with that as a as a capacity limit to your magazine, a thousand rounds? Because generally, what happens here? I mean, see, this is my problem because no one wants to agree to any limitations. I, I understand that. My, you're you're missing my point. You're being too literal. What I'm what I'm trying to say to you is is where would you draw the line on magazine capacity? Are you saying there should never be any magazine capacity limits, or is there some magic number where you would be okay drawing the line? It would be operator choice. So, you know, if you feel like you're... Okay, so... choice. Why then are certain guns illegal if operator choice should control? Or is that just for magazines? Huh? Okay. The reason that paperwork becomes unobtainable for most people is because they just can't afford it. Right. Because once you go to get a, ta a gun with a tax stamp, you're paying, you know, thousands of dollars for that gun. So you're buying it from a for like ten times as much you pay for a regular gun. So right. now, with that, you know, background check and all your approvals that the government looked at, said you're you know, somewhat you know, capable of taking care of this piece piece of machinery. Here you go. Right. Get to your buddy's farm and take care of some pumpkins. Right, right. So you got to go through all kinds of special hoops. You can't buy it on Tuesday and shoot up the school on Wednesday or the hospital on Thursday, right? So we already, so we already have that basically in place. Is my point. So what's this new regulation? How's it going to change things? Because, like, for example, in Canada, like I just said, they're saying you have to register every firearm you have. Okay. And then, then jo Josh, I'm not, I'm not trying to be argumentative, but I'm asking you. Say, you say we already have this regulation in place, but the kid. The guy that went to the hospital bought the gun the same day he took it to the hospital, right? And he bought it lawfully in Tulsa. Right. Well, well there's, I'm assuming that, assuming it's not a uh, false flag event done by the Clintons and the uh, the Illuminati for a minute, okay? And I'm not busting. I'm just saying. Right. And so, so in our current regime, we don't really have waiting periods. Um, and, and again, I've, I've talked to many gun owners who say, hey, some reasonable restriction is okay with me. Um, well, usually, you're in front, usually when you do that, the transfer of like a pistol or something like that. Now, you know, there's different types of firearms, but uh, like rifles and stuff are, you know, much easier to obtain, but also be much more difficult to, you know, get on a bus. Right. So, um, and, and, yeah, and Josh. You walk in, and then during that period of time, you're sitting in front of an individual that's an FL trained individual that, you know, is supposed to be able to have a small amount of awareness and conversation with somebody that seems that they're actually kind of strange or not when they're doing that. Just about, and it's, you know, they, yeah. that is part of the system. That is a red flag right away. This guy came in, he was real nervous. He had a, you know, a bunch of right. cash in his pocket. He was ready to get out of town. So that got 
So that guy here, he might not get, oh, well, the FBI is going to tell you tomorrow, you'll be able to pick it up or whatever. You know what I mean? Let's just put a hold on I guess It really comes up to the FFL. You know what I mean? All right, Josh. They're, 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 Apple is begging me to answer a question for her. I appreciate your call. appreciate your thoughts. I put you on the spot about gun control, which wasn't what we were going to talk about tonight. Um, and I always appreciate your call. All right, boss? Thank you. All right. So, Apple, you want to know, um, when we talk about reforming our decrepit prison system, would you be an advocate for a prisoner bill of rights, and what would you include in that bill? Uh, bill of rights, yeah, uh, we already have all these things. We've got the Prison Rape Elimination Act. Um, but what would I include in it? I would include actual honest access. So as of right now, for a lot of reasons, security, they claim, and other reasons, prisons like this black box. What happens inside the prison, you can't know about. If I write a complaint, they say it didn't happen. So, so let me give you an example. I got a tray one time, and it was supposed to have a, a cup of uh, potatoes on it. Keep in mind, it sounds silly but when you're in prison you can't just like go to the store and get extra food right you can have some commissary and that sort of thing but you can't just have extra food available so i get this it's supposed to be a scoop of potatoes but the kids that were scooping it back they were only throwing like one slice of potato on each tray to be funny or whatever and the guard that was running the uh uh operation was allowing us to go on didn't seem to care and me being me i just left my tray on the table walked out of the dining hall grabbed the sarge brought him back. He's sorry, look at this. He's like, oh yeah, that's BS. You know, he's like, uh, if you write a grievance, I'll say that they didn't, they only put like one piece of potato on your tray. Because uh, if you do the grievance and they look into it. So I write the grievance and I get back a response that says, and I believe this apple, grievance denied, Sergeant so-and-so is not a trained culinary professional. Therefore, it's unqualified to determine whether or not that was one cup of potatoes on your tray. And therefore, there was no evidence that you were not fed the required amount of food on such and such evening at such and such time. That's a normal response in prison to a grievance. They give you the proverbial middle finger um, as an answer a lot of times. Um, you can win some of them. You can escalate some of them. A lot of times they would deny my grievance, but magically the problem would be fixed. Um, you know, so whatever it was you're complaining about would be denied. They would deny they'd ever did it that way. But all of a sudden, maybe they would start cooking the meat or boiling the soup or uh, providing the medical care that you wanted. Uh, went through this, read a lot of grievances when I was in prison for myself. Um, some are sustained, so they do. But they, most of the time, you get an answer like that. So my problem with the Prisoner Bill of Rights is you can't prove what they're doing to you in there. Or one time, the guards were mad at me because remember that guy Miller that I mentioned and the whole nighttime thing? I wrote him up about allowing all this uh, circus to go on at night, complained about it. So his response was have one of his buddies move my housing unit to move me into a cell with the guy who was maxing out in about two days. And what it was is a setup. It's the setup where they're going to put you into a cell with somebody who's going to, you know, do this to you. And there's a little thing going on there. Because with the guy maxing out, even if he gets in trouble, he's just going to walk out the door. Because they don't charge you don't get if you want to commit simple assault, aggravated assault, or be a drug dealer and not get new charges, the safest place in the world to do it is prison. All you do is get a little whole time for it, okay? Because they don't want their crime statistics pumped up. 
So most of the craziness that happens in the prison is silently handled internally, lest the district attorneys and public records get involved and people would see. So they wanted to stick me in the cell. I refused to sell up with the guy. I had to go to the hole. I was only in the hole for about 23 hours. I got popped out because somebody else, you know, like, oh, Carl, you know, we can't say why this happened, but, you know, don't worry. We're just going to move you over to this other place. Um, little side note, the place they were moving me, they moved another guy off of there because he was a prolific grievance writer. And they put down the word that uh, his name was Kelly, that Kelly and Rominger can't live together because, you know, heaven forbid they compare notes, which, of course, made no sense because I would see Kelly in the yard and, and help him with his grievances anyhow. But... So what would I put in the Bill of Rights? I would put something to allow access. There needs to be an ombudsman or a third party that can drop in on the prison. Um, most every inspection they did was announced. We knew an inspection was coming because, for instance, they would have all the cigarette butts cleaned up before the inspection, you know, out of the no smoking areas, all the cigarette butts cleaned up. Um, certain other things would be done. Maybe a coat of paint would be slopped on something. Um, Things could go days without being cleaned, months without being cleaned. Uh, but all of a sudden they were clean and knew the inspector was coming because most of the inspections were announced. And if they weren't actually announced, uh, you know, like the guys, the inspectors would come surprised, walk through the jail. But as you know, jail has all these checkpoints, you know, this door here, this door there, all this kind of fun stuff. So they would check people in and out. And uh, by the time they could get from one block, so maybe the first block they saw basically how people might actually be living. But by the time they got to the second or third building, um, clotheslines were pulled down, uh, walls were cleaned off, contraband was hidden, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I mean, it's just crazy. It's, it's crazy. But I'm just thinking of something, uh, you know, one time I was asked, hey, Rominger, can you sign some signatures for us? And I'm like, huh, interesting. Uh, whole nother prison debacle. Anyhow, uh, Apple, I would tell you it has to be allowing some kind of random rapid access or the ability of a third party alms, but maybe not the public, but a third party uh, curator to pull all the prison camera feeds and look at them and, and document what's going on. Because a lot of times on the camera feed, you will see all kinds of activity that supposedly doesn't occur in a prison. Uh, like, for instance, at 11 o'clock at night when everybody's supposed to be in their cube in bed. And people are literally running around and the guard is asleep at the desk watching YouTube, which is why I don't understand Camp Hill apparently has um, some kind of staffing crisis. So any of you that are listening, if you're looking for a job where you can watch a lot of YouTube, check your Facebook regularly, um, if you do your job poorly and the customers complain, nothing bad will ever happen to you, go to Camp Hill. they got a job fair going on there. It's a great job. Uh, and I don't mean that to demean the guards who do do their job. Uh, one of the CEOs told me one time, he's like, you know, the problem is I do my job because I'm just that guy. But if I didn't do my job, I wouldn't have to do my job because they would move me off the block and put me in a no work position where all I have to do is stand there all day. It's a little more boring, but I have zero responsibility, but the same pay. He's like, so I don't really always wonder sometimes why I stay in the block here and do all the extra work and paperwork that I do, uh, except that I can't help myself. Uh, I think that's a pretty accurate description of the situation. Um, yeah, guards keep. Yeah, there are, Josh, there, there are a lot of good guards. There are a lot of good counselors. But none of them are rewarded for their good behavior, and the bad ones are never called out on what they do. 
at the prison I was at, Pine Grove, shortly before I got there, um, one of the guards decided to let some inmates into a cell in the middle of the night so they could beat up a guy so he could, quote, listen through the speaker system and get his jollies. And they accidentally blinded the guy in one eye. So the whole thing sort of eventually got found out. But of course, the guy never got prosecuted because, you know, no crime there when a guard does such a thing. Um, and it was all hush-hush and you probably never heard about it. But if you dig around the federal lawsuits, you'll find a little bit about it. Um, but nine times out of 10, you can get no traction. Uh, I'm still waiting for satisfaction for what those idiots up at Lewisburg did, smashing. Uh, I've got till July 1st for a statute of limitations. So I'm still toying around whether I should just drop a lawsuit on, on them. Um, but again, nobody wants to let you sue a guard because, you know, it'll make their job very difficult. Um, but it doesn't make it any easier to be a prisoner when they can literally trash everything you own whenever they want and you have no recourse. So, so Apple, um, to answer your question again, uh, a bill of rights maybe, but I just think we need transparency. And there is no transparency in prison right now. They run it with that old national security facility security clause. Um, and there's a lot of reasons, legitimate reasons, that if we sat down with a security expert from a prison, we'd have, we'd explain some of the reasons why they don't like the public having a lot of access to what's going on inside there. And that's why I'm suggesting maybe an intermediary, maybe the ACLU. So maybe the governor could appoint like five people and those five people could have it run a committee and they could have a professional staff and they could just monitor prison feeds and can see what guards are doing, inspect prisons randomly. But with a true, you know, 24-7 governor's pass access, like we just want to walk in in the middle of the night and you have to show us what's going on. We get to see anything and everything we want. We don't really have that. I don't care what anybody tells you. We don't really have that. All right, guys. Uh, I've been talking tonight about the prison system. I've been talking a little bit about the unfair conditions uh, as they exist for the January 6th defendants. Let me bring this home. I was in prison. I was with the pretrial detainees when I was in Marshall's care. It is terrible. It is horrible. Everything these guys are complaining about is real. Medical care is terrible. Food is substandard. It's hard to get sufficient calories. Um, you're housed with people that are dangerous and seasoned criminals. Um, you have apathetic and, and uh, incapable staff. You have great staff as well. But when your medical care, one night when I was in Marshall's care, they didn't do pill line. The nurses simply didn't come around to give anybody their medicine that night. Now, was I harmed by it? Obviously not. I'm alive, right? But it's a simple thing. I was, everything a prison needs to do is feed people, keep them safe, give them their medicine, just like one of the weird basics. And they didn't do it. And they have no explanation for why they didn't do it. Uh, it took them six months to get me to a cardiologist. I know why it took them six months because they just couldn't do it. What they hope is, they kept thinking I was gonna leave, see? Kept thinking like, oh, he'll leave soon, he'll leave soon, and we'll just shove his medical problem off on the next cost center. That's what Core Civic was up to. Um, private prisons are a whole topic for another day. Uh, I would love anybody from Core Civic to please sue me for defamation so we could have a lawsuit. Please sue me. I would love for you to claim defamation. Um, so we can just show the world what really happens in a core civic facility. Um, so yeah, prison's a miserable place, 
But if you're a pretrial and you're innocent or potentially innocent, and like this guy who was going to call in, big tough guy earlier, you know, he said he uh, would debate me tonight and never called in. Uh, I had to up here enough times. Uh, you know, he said, oh, who cares if they're guilty? If they're guilty, yeah, if they're guilty, they could get that. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Big tough guy. Well, big tough guy didn't come on because big tough guy probably finally figured out that there's a chance that these people are innocent. And until they're guilty of something, they should be treated very well. And if it requires for public safety that they be put somewhere, put them in the Holiday Inn on an ankle bracelet. Put them in their house on an ankle bracelet. This presumption they need to be locked up there because now, if they were battling with a police officer, it's a little bit more of a complicated question. But again, these are just allegations. And that's where any pretrial detention or bail gets kind of uh, oh, weird for a minute, right? Because there's always the allegation we're trying to weigh versus the fact that the presumption of innocence applies. And if the presumption of innocence is strong, which it should be, uh, then the presumption of bail and or reasonable release should be strong as well. And I don't think that balance was struck. I think it's unfortunate these people are in jail, many of them. I think it's fortunate that the world is catching on. But remember this, how we treat the drug dealer from Cleveland, how we treat the alleged shooter from Chicago, how we treat the guy from Newville who's, who's alleged to have uh, uh, committed an illicit sex act, how we treat the two brothers who are fighting in their driveway, how we treat the lawyer, the preacher, the nurse who gets a DUI, how we treat those people pre and post trial reflects on us and how we treat them pre and post trial because those two things are so closely linked, they have to be handled together. Uh, we need serious prison reform, both to create a better, more reforming prison environment. We need long sentences for violent and dangerous people. But we have to accept the reality that 95% of everybody incarcerated will be released. Do you want the pit bull that's been hit with crack cattle prods for 10 years released? Or do you want the guy who lived in okay conditions, who doesn't want to go back because it wasn't a lot of fun, but it was humane, it was tolerable, and it was a chance to get better? You have to make that decision. I think it's an easy answer. Uh, I think it's a simple answer. And I think we could all get on the same page for this. So my call is if you are someone who's been doing prison reform in the minority community for years and feels a certain way because suddenly these white guys are in jail and, and uh, now they're asking for special treatment, or if you're a conservative who've never thought about how you've allowed the prison system to run in the past is now affecting people you know or you would support or who are like you, you could have been there, you could have been walking those halls making your protest known. Um, if you fit in any of those categories, remember, we're all on the same page here. We need a government. And by the way, everybody who's afraid of the government being in control, what you allow the government to do to your prisoners is what you allow the government to do to their political enemies. Because somebody earlier, I think the, the big bad guy that didn't want to come on and debate me after all, he did make an interesting point. Like these guys, the January 6th guys are political prisoners. How we treat our political prisoners um, is influenced by how we treat our prisoners because whether somebody's a political prisoner or not is something that has to always be sorted out. So we should be, by God, the United States of America, but 
by any measure, we're Russia or China when it comes to our jails. Uh, we are Saudi Arabia almost when it comes to our jails. Most of the world has a better penal system than we do. And anybody who thinks I'm about coddling criminals, I'm not. Listen, I've been there. I survived it. I know what it's about. I can tell you where it goes wrong. I can tell you what's really going on in there. And I will be getting more out about this. But what I will tell you is it's a measure that we're failing in and we need to fix. All right, guys, have a great night.